Hi, I'm Father Gregory Pine. And I'm Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. And you're listening to the Catholic Classics Podcast, where we seek to grow our prayer lives by learning from the Church's greatest saints and teachers. Spiritual reading can be challenging for many Catholics, so this podcast is here to help. Each season, we'll read through a great work, unpack its timeless wisdom, and encourage you with practical tips for the pursuit of holiness. The Catholic Classics Podcast is brought to you by Ascension. This season, we are reading Ascension's edition of Introduction to the Devout Life by St. Francis de Sales. To get your copy of the book and download the reading plan for this season, visit ascensionpress.com slash catholicclassics or text INTRO to 33777. Be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast app. This is Day 34. Today we'll be reading Part 4, Necessary Counsels Concerning Temptations That Occur Frequently in the Christian Life, Chapters 4-6, through which are pages 379 to 387 in the Ascension edition of the book. Before we get into the reading, a quick look then at what we are covering today. As part four, or the title of part four, has given us to understand, we're going to be talking about temptation for a while. So in this particular section, he's going to start with some illustrations of temptations, so that way he can help us to sort out what it means to kind of be posed with a temptation, and then to entertain or engage or consent to a temptation. So he goes on to describe these different types of interactions, and he gives us, yeah, different examples, but also different principles, different arguments, which help us to inform our conscience or to inform our virtuous life so that when we encounter them, uh, whether big or small in the future, we feel, yeah, better equipped for the task. So he's specifically going to pose to us the question, do we invite these temptations? Do we occasion these temptations? Do we battle with these temptations when they do arise? All of which will be helpful for us to better appreciate yeah, the role that they play in our life and um, yeah, how we may overcome them and grow in our relationship with God. So let's say a prayer and start in. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Grant us grace, O merciful God, to desire ardently all that is pleasing to thee, to examine it prudently, to acknowledge it truthfully, and to accomplish it perfectly. For the praise and glory of thy name. Amen. Chapter 4. Two beautiful examples of this. It is so important for you to perfectly understand this matter that I shall not hesitate to explain it at greater length. St. Jerome spoke of a young man who, lying very delicately upon a soft mattress, tied there by silk scarves, was provoked by all sorts of indecent touches and allurements by a woman who lay there with him on purpose in order to overturn his constancy. Is it surprising that he would feel the effects of these unusual events? Shouldn't his senses be seized with delight in his imagination, extremely occupied at the presence of sensual objects? However, amid so many disturbances, here in such a terrible storm of temptations, and amid so many sensual pleasures all about him, he testifies that his heart was not defeated, and that his will did not consent to it at all. For his spirit, seeing everything in rebellion against him, with his tongue being the only body part remaining in his command, he bit it off with his teeth, and spat it in the face of this indecent soul who tormented his own soul more cruelly by her sensual allurements than torturers ever knew how to do by way of torments. Thus, the tormentor who struggled to overcome his soul by means of painful affliction, instead, had turned to such pleasures for the task. The story of St. Catherine of Siena's own temptations in a similar matter will illustrate the subject. 
The wicked spirit had permission from God to assault the purity of this holy virgin with all his power, provided always that he did not touch her. Therefore, he placed before her heart all kinds of impure suggestions, and joined by his diabolic companions, they took on human forms, presenting her with various scenes of impurity, accompanying them with impure words and solicitations. And although all these things were external, nevertheless, by means of the senses, they penetrated deep into the virgin's heart, which, as she herself confessed, was so filled to the brim with such obscenities, that the only thing remaining in her power was the spiritual heights of her will, which was not shaken by the storm of wickedness and carnal delectation. Long did this temptation continue, until one day our Savior appeared to her. She said to him, quote, Where were you, my sweet Savior, when my heart was full of such great darkness and uncleanness? End quote. He answered, quote, My daughter, I was present in your heart. End quote. Quote, but how, she replied, could you dwell in my heart alongside such impurity? Do you truly dwell in such unclean places? End quote. To this our Lord replied, quote, Tell me, did these foul thoughts of your heart give you pleasure or sorrow, bitterness or delight? End quote. Quote, the most extreme bitterness and sorrow, she said. Who was it then, replied our Savior, that put this great bitterness and sorrow into your heart? It was I who remained hidden in the midst of your soul. Believe me, daughter, had I not been present, these thoughts that surrounded your will without conquering it would doubtlessly have entered in, then being gladly received by your will, thus bringing death to your soul. However, present in your heart, I filled it with the displeasure and resistance that enabled it to reject the temptation as much as it could. However, not being able to press back against it as much as it would have liked to, it conceived greater displeasure and hatred both against the temptation and against itself. Thus, these troubles proved to be occasions of great merit and great gain for you, giving your strength and virtue an opportunity to increase greatly." End quote. See, Philothea, how this fire was covered with ashes, and how temptation and delight had even entered her heart and surrounded her will, which alone, assisted by our Savior, rallied resistance by its aversion, displeasure, and detestation of the evil suggested to it, constantly refusing to consent to the sin that besieged her on every side. Ah, how great a distress is experienced by a soul that loves God but does not know whether or not he is within her or whether or not the divine love for which she fights is altogether extinguished. However, it is the very flower of the perfection of heavenly love for the lover to suffer and fight for love, not knowing whether or not he possesses that love for which, and indeed by which, he fights. Chapter 5. Encouragement for the Soul Experiencing These Temptations my dear Philothea, God only permits these violent assaults and extraordinary temptations to occur against those souls whom he desires to elevate to the highest degree of divine love. Nonetheless, it does not follow that after such trials they will certainly attain it, for it has often happened that those who have remained constant through such violent assaults, falling short in faithfulness to the divine favor, afterwards allow themselves to be overcome by very small temptations. I tell you this so that if you should ever be assaulted by great temptations, you may know that God is here bestowing upon you an extraordinary favor, thus declaring his desire to make you great in his sight. But you must nonetheless always remain humble and fearful. Even after prevailing against great temptations, always remember that you will conquer small ones only by the same means, constant fidelity to his divine majesty. Therefore, whatever temptations may hereafter befall you, no matter what delights may accompany them, so long as your will refuses to consent, not only to the temptation, but also to the delight, do not trouble yourself in the least, for God will thus not be offended. When a man has fainted and shows no sign of life, we lay our hand on his heart, and if we feel any motion, no matter how slight, 
We judge that he is alive and that he may recover his strength and senses if we apply some restorative aid to him. So too, it sometimes happens that through the violence of a temptation, our soul seems to have fallen into a total exhaustion in its powers, so that it no longer has any spiritual life or motion, as though it were in a swoon. However, if we desire to know what state she is, let us lay our hand upon our heart and ascertain whether the heart, that is the will, still retains its spiritual motion. In other words, whether it has done its duty in refusing to consent and yield to the temptation and delight. For as long as this refusal remains active in our heart, we may rest assured that charity, the life of our soul, remains in us, and that Jesus Christ our Savior is there present, even though concealed. Thus, by means of the continual exercise of prayer, the sacraments, and confidence in God, our strength will come back to us, and we shall live a vigorous and happy life. Chapter 6 How Temptation and Delight Can Become Sinful The princess spoken of earlier could not help that the dishonorable suitor beset her, because, as we presupposed, it was made against her will. However, had she, on the contrary, provided some occasion for this suitor to draw close, or had any desire to excite love in him who sought her, then, beyond a doubt, she would not be free from blame for this dishonorable act, and no matter how prudish she might act, she would certainly deserve both blame and punishment. Thus, it sometimes happens that temptation on its own involves us in sin because we ourselves are the cause of it. For example, I might know that when I play some game I fall easily into violent passion, and that such passion leads me into blasphemy, thus being aware that gaming is a temptation for me to commit those sins. In that case, I sin every time I play and am accountable for all the temptations that befall me in such gaming. Similarly, if I know that certain conversations will expose me to the danger of falling into sin, and yet willingly expose myself to them, I am undoubtedly guilty of all the temptations I experience on such occasions. When the delight that arises from a temptation can be avoided, it is always a sin to admit it, more or less sinful depending upon how much pleasure we take in it, or depending on how much we consent to it. If the young princess spoken of above not only had heard the dishonorable proposals addressed to her, but also had taken pleasure in them, allowing her mind to dwell in delight, thinking about the subject, she would have been very much at fault, for then, though she does not consent to the actual sin proposed to her, nonetheless, she spiritually consents to the sin through the pleasure she takes in it. It is always a sin to yield the heart as well as the body to a sin. Indeed, this sin depends so much on the consent of the heart that without it, the consent of the body would not be a sin. Therefore, when you are tempted to any sin, consider whether or not you have willingly given occasion to this temptation. For then, the temptation itself puts you in a state of sin, because you are the one who has flung yourself into the danger. This admonition applies to when you could, without any great difficulty, have avoided the occasion, and were able to foresee, or at least ought to have foreseen, that temptation would occur. However, if you have not given any occasion to the temptation, it cannot in any way be imputed to you as a sin. When the delight following upon temptation could have been avoided, but was not, there was always some kind of sin, more or less, depending on how long you dwelled upon it or on the pleasure you have taken in it. A woman who gives no consent to being courted but nonetheless takes pleasure therein is to be blamed if this pleasure arises from the courtship. However, if, for example, the gentleman who addresses her plays excellently upon the lute and she takes pleasure not in his courtship but in the harmony and sweetness of his lute, this would be no sin though she ought not to continue to indulge in this pleasure for fear that it should lead to her taking pleasure in his courtship. Similarly, if anyone should come to me with an ingenious plot for taking revenge on an enemy of mine, and I neither delight in such revenge nor give any consent to it, but only am pleased with how brilliant and artful this plot is, I certainly do not sin by doing that. 
though I must not allow myself to be amused by this pleasure for fear that, step by step, it should lead me to take some delight in the revenge itself. Sometimes we are surprised by some feeling of delight immediately following a temptation before we are well aware of it. This, at most, can only be a light venial sin. However, it becomes greater if, after we have perceived the evil that has befallen us, we negligently continue for some time, dallying with the delight, hesitating as to whether or not we should admit or reject it. And the sin becomes greater still if, after becoming aware of this delight, we dwell on it through utter negligence, without being determined to reject it. However, when we voluntarily and with full deliberation resolve to please ourselves in such delights, this deliberate purpose is of itself a great sin, provided that the object in which we take delight is also a great sin. A woman commits a great fault by entertaining improper affections, even if she never intends to truly yield herself to her lovers. In this section, then, uh, we have seen St. Francis de Sales appeal to a couple of very strong images and then turn to further principles about temptations, whether big or small. So we had this intense example from St. Jerome of the man who was tied down to his bed and was tempted and could show no form of resistance except to bite off his own tongue and spit it at his temptress, which is intense. <laughs> Holy moly. Um, and then that of St. Catherine of Siena, who was permitted to experience all kinds of vile temptations. And then when she asked the Lord how he could possibly be present to her in the midst of those temptations, our Lord affirmed the fact that because I was present to you, you were able to overcome those temptations. Were I not present to you, you would not have been able to overcome those temptations. So these examples bring before our eyes the fact that we always have some way of pushing back that way comes to us by the grace of God, but we always have some way of saying to these temptations, no, not for me, I prefer to cling to my relationship with God. Now, I don't think that necessarily means that we have to bite off our tongue and spit it at whoever is tempting us. In fact, I would discourage that practice in most instances, uh, but, but nonetheless, we have means at our disposal. So, Father Jacob Bertrand, as we turn now to some of these intense examples of temptation, but also to thinking more about the reality of temptation, what are some ways in which we can start the conversation? Well, I think one of the first things that thinking about temptation as we have in this, in part four here, you know, with yesterday's conversation and today's and as we continue, and then these these intense examples that St. Francis puts before us, it, it sort of begs the question for me, like, why, why does God allow temptation? I know I've had that experience in my life. I'm assuming you have in yours. I'm assuming most people have. You know, why does God allow me to suffer these temptations, to experience this? Why doesn't he just let me do the good without having to struggle to do it? And kind of, in a way, at least when I'm asked that question, the answer that I like to at least give by way of starting out is, is one that, that, um, points to our freedom. You know, God created us in his image in what we call the Imago Dei. We know this from the book of Genesis and his image and likeness and how we image God is not a physical imaging, but in our ability to know and in our intellect and in our ability to love through our will. And for that, that requires freedom. You know, we can't be manipulated to love. Love is a free choice that we have to make. Otherwise it's this bizarre, yeah, kind of manipulation on, on the other's part. And if there's freedom, then there's freedom to choose. And if there's freedom to choose, then there's, you know, we have a choice between what Father Gregory described, you know, pursuing God and saying no to temptation and, and things that are evil and bad or saying yes to them. So 
I think these examples sort of highlight the fact that that we're human, you know, that we have a choice here. And if we have a choice, then we're not bound to choose the thing that we're tempted with, you know, and there's, there's a great freedom in that, that we are, we are able by the help of God's grace, as he said to St. Catherine in the example that St. Francis gives us to choose the good, to choose God, to withstand temptation, even though it's difficult, even though it's, it's, it can be challenging or something that we face regularly, you know, and we ought to take like courage in that, that we always have the ability with God's grace to resist temptation and not only to resist, but to flourish. I think sometimes we get stuck there too, that it's just a fight. No, it's, it's about becoming holy, about becoming perfect. And this is something that St. Francis will talk about too, as we continue on. Yeah, I think here of a comment by C.S. Lewis, who says, you know, there's some folks who think of our time on earth as a kind of resort, like we ought to be afforded every convenience, every luxury. There are other people who think about our time on earth as like a prison, as if we're stuck in these cages of flesh and that we are punished by an endless series of disappointments and dissatisfactions. But he says, truth be told, it's probably somewhere in the middle. Uh, and he says, one of the best images to describe our time on earth is as like an athletic facility or a training ground. It's a place where we exercise our minds and our hearts. We exercise our whole humanity so that when it comes time for us to pass from this life to the next, we're strong enough, you know, to, to kind of push through that remaining stage. If we go to purgatory or we're strong enough to sustain or to bear all the weight of glory, which will come to possess or will come to experience in heaven. And I think that when you use this image, then you have to say, okay, then, then what's God doing? Okay. Is God like designing all kinds of different athletic contests or different training exercises because he likes to see us struggle? It's like, no, God is like, again, like a good parent who wants to train us up in our humanity. He created us for that end. He redeemed us so as to give us a you know, a renewed lease on that opportunity, but with the how much more of, you know, this new offer in our Lord Jesus Christ of a friendship, which is closer to our experience, which is, you know, like easy for us to pursue, which has a human face and a human heart. And so, yeah, when we think about our time here on earth and the experience of temptation, sometimes we're tempted to say, you know, would that these temptations were not, would that God were a better father, that he shielded us from these temptations. But as all good parents know, you need to, at a certain point, you know, kind of place your children's lives in their hands so that they can come into possession of it and so that they can come to the more perfect exercise of it. Because if children are never permitted to exercise freedom, when their rebellion does come, it will come out sideways and in the most bizarre of forms. So our Lord, like you said, he entrusts us with freedom so that we can give expression to his glory and work our way towards our salvation because it's precisely this way that our Lord has made it such, uh, or that that creation is kind of designed. So then, yeah, maybe expanding on this theme uh, for like the proving or the growing of virtue, what are ways in which we can confront temptations or address temptations so that we keep virtue before our eyes and that we don't, you know, veer off in the way of vice? It's good to remember that we are like creatures of habit. I think we've mentioned this before, um, right? That whether we're doing a good thing or a bad thing, we do things, whether good being virtue or bad being vice, we do things out of a sort of habit. We kind of form these habits, they inform our character, and that's how we tend to act. We can't really, and we shouldn't really ask God to be tempted, you know, for more temptation as a sort of like put more weight on the 
on the bench press and that way I can just become stronger. You know, these come on their own. So let them come on their own. Um, so our participation in sort of, of, of facing temptation and, and like building the habits of withstanding temptation are going to come on their own. It's a sort of then a question of like, well, what do I do in anticipation of that? And I think that we practice virtue in little things. Um, so if, if like, prudence of like the, the virtue that guides our decision making is tough for us if we're really indecisive well in little things we should practice prudence we should recognize that that forms the habit of prudence it's not just big things where virtue is called upon so practice virtues in in, in small settings but also we can participate in our growth here in sort of setting up like healthy boundaries controlling the environment in ways of like you know if if i'm super tempted to like waste time online or to like look at stupid videos and that sort of thing well like put up a boundary on your like on how much time you can spend on youtube or whatever you know we can set invite the environment the bumpers that we need so that when temptation does appear we're better set to face it you know this is a way by which we participate in our growth and holiness and our choosing the good um, we shouldn't underestimate those little things it's sort of like playing offense you know like getting ready for when the temptation comes that we can react well to it yeah i think maybe just pursuing that thought I, my own experience, there are a couple of things that when I'm on the internet, they make me sad or they make me angry. So oftentimes when I read the news or when I read church news or when I read about Philadelphia sports, I was, I was happy there for a bit when the Philadelphia Eagles won the Super Bowl, but I'm mostly disappointed and frustrated. So I just have, you know, content blocker on my phone and on my computer so that I can't go to, you know, bleedinggreennation.com or libertyballers.com. And mind you, do I sometimes check things on those sites? Sure, because I can adjust my content settings, but there's an extra wall such that I have to enter a password, delete a thing, save a setting, reload a page. And that is often enough to keep me from indulging in something that I know will send me off in a sad or angry spiral. So we need to be, you know, conscious of the weakness, the woundedness of our humanity how very fragile we are as human beings, and then just to put up little boundaries so that way we have, yeah, and boundaries is the perfect word for it, so that way we kind of, um, yeah, channel our, our knowing and our loving in such a way that it's more likely, or at the very least, it's less unlikely to kind of find its way to God. And, you know, it seems almost to, to baby ourselves or to infantilize ourselves, but I, I think we just need to have a healthy appreciation of how weak and wounded we in fact are, and then to govern our lives or to shape our lives accordingly. So yeah, maybe with that, we're coming to the end of the episode. If you have final thoughts, final encouragements. Again, as we were talking about in yesterday's episode, on today's episode with temptation, don't be thrown by it. It's going to come and it's going to come in different ways, but also, you know, take stock of the ways that you can continue to build virtue when not particularly tempted, but also you know, set up good boundaries, good bumpers for your life so that you don't kind of create an environment where it's it's too easy to fall when temptation comes. All right, that's it for today. Thanks so much for having tuned in. Uh, be sure to follow us wherever you listen to your podcasts. To download the reading plan and support the production of this podcast, please visit ascensionpress.com slash Catholic Classics. And we're always interested in getting to know the digital community, so please join us at our next Godsplaining event, whether it be a pilgrimage, a retreat, or something else. And you can find details and applications for those at godsplaining.org. Know of our prayers for you. Please pray for us, and we will catch you next time on Catholic Classics. Mm -hmm.